You know, as a little boy, I can remember getting in trouble for things that I didn't do. I had two older brothers, Barry and Adam. I was the third of four, but I was the youngest boy. And so I found myself getting into trouble for things that my older brothers did. They were always causing trouble. They were always somehow involved in things maybe they shouldn't be. And I don't know why, but somehow my parents always associated me with their trouble. And I found myself being disciplined. I found myself getting consequences for things that they did. And I remember telling my parents, like, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I promise. And they're like, mm -hmm, sure, Drew, right. Somehow you were there. I'm like, it was them. Until one time I remember I finally proved to my parents that I was actually innocent. And I gave them the evidence. I was like, hey, this wasn't me. Look, it was just the two of them. And I can remember my dad's response. He said, well, son, I guess that discipline was just for all the times I didn't catch you doing something wrong. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make me feel any better, dad. But can you imagine standing on trial, being accused of something you didn't do, completely innocent? You know, Netflix just did a documentary on some young teenage boys, it's called When They See Us, of these teenage boys are accused of raping a female. And they're standing on trial, and not only do they stand on trial, but they're convicted as guilty, even though they were innocent. They find themselves in prison, waiting and hoping, but years later, they're actually freed and proven to be innocent. But let me ask you this, have you ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do? You see, in our justice system, this happens from time to time. And it happened in Paul's as well. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 26 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on page 907 in the ones that we will offer you at all of our campuses. I'd encourage you to turn there and make your way to Acts chapter uh, 26. And I'd also encourage you to grab out your program. You can take some notes to continue the conversation throughout the week in your community group and in your personal time with God. And on your uh, connections card, there's a connections card on the bottom of your program. I encourage you, if you're new, you're a guest here at Northridge Church, there's an online form of that uh, uh, for our online community. Man, I encourage you to take that. If we got prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you if you're a guest. Uh, it's just a chance for us to connect with you, help you, uh, help us to connect with you and build relationships with you. So if you would fill that out, um, and let us know what, what you need from us. Let us know what your thoughts are. We'd encourage you to do that. And, you know, I, I want to welcome you to Northridge Church. Thanks for being here uh, this morning to all of our campuses. Those of you who are watching online, man, we're thankful that you're here. We know there's a lot going on. It's the holiday season. We're gearing up for a really busy time. And thanks for taking a, a piece of your weekend and spending it with us. And so we're studying Paul's life. And here we're going to see Paul on trial. Paul being uh, accused of something that ultimately he didn't do. But in order to understand really Acts chapter 26, you, actually, you have to go back all the way to Acts 23. And we have to watch the events of Acts 23, 24, and 25 that build us into Acts chapter 26. You see, in Acts chapter 23, Paul is in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was this group of really powerful religious leaders. It was this judiciary council led by the most important person in the Judaism. He was the high priest. 
And so Paul is standing before this group of people in Acts chapter 23, and guess what he's talking about? He's talking about the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. This was a really tense topic with the Sanhedrin. In fact, it was so tense that a riot breaks out as Paul begins to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. It gets so violent that Roman guards have to intervene and save Paul's life. Check it out. Acts chapter 23, verse 10, it says this. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn into pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them and force, and, and, and by force and bring him into the barracks. Okay, so this is Acts chapter 23. Paul is before the Sanhedrin, and they want to kill Paul. And I want to give you a timeline of events that really lead up into Acts chapter 26. So the first one is Paul is here in Acts chapter 23. He's arrested. Paul is arrested by Roman guards, and he is getting ready to stand trial through the justice system. The problem is, is he can't be tried in Jerusalem because the Jews want him dead. They want to kill him. They want to get rid of Paul. And so Paul is sent to Caesarea. He's sent to Caesarea to walk through the Roman justice system because he is a Roman citizen. So Paul's sent to Caesarea, and five days after he's sent to Caesarea, Paul stands trial before the governor named Felix. That takes us to Acts chapter 24. So Paul stands trial before Felix. Who is Felix? Well, Felix is this Roman governor who oversees the Judea region, and his job is to deal with issues like this. And so Paul pleads his, his innocence, and the Jewish people come, and they deliver their charges against Paul. Acts 24, verse 5, it says this, we have found this man, his name was Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's the ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we bring against him. So here the Jewish people come before Felix, the governor, and they say, hey, this Paul guy is stirring up trouble all around the, the world for Jews. He's the ringleader of the Nazarene sect, probably one of the biggest compliments Paul's ever gotten. He's the ringleader of Jesus. <laughs> He's trying to desecrate the temple. And you'll see... What we say is true. And Paul is standing on trial. He's innocent. And so Felix decides to leave Paul in prison. He doesn't know what to do with Paul, so he just kind of leaves him in prison. And two years go by, and now Felix, the governor, is replaced by a new governor named Festus. Apparently, they liked F names, right? So Felix is replaced by Festus, and he picks up Paul's trial. Paul stands trial before Festus. This is here in Acts chapter 25. So Paul pleads his innocence to Festus, the new governor. And so the governor, Festus, is trying to figure out, what should I do with Paul? He seems innocent, but I'm not sure. Well, King Agrippa actually comes and visits the governor. And the governor begins to tell the king what's happening. It says this in verse 14. It says, since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. Then King Agrippa said to Festus, I would like you to hear this. I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. And here we pick up Acts chapter 26, where Paul stands on trial before King Agrippa. So all those events lead us up to Acts chapter 26. Paul's arrested. He stands before the first governor. 
He leaves him in prison for two years. He's replaced, the governor's replaced by a new governor who doesn't know what to do. The king arrives and says, I wanna deal with Paul myself. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul begins to defend himself before King Agrippa. Now, if you were in Paul's shoes, you're standing on trial and your life kind of hangs in the balance. Your freedom hangs in the balance. You have to prove yourself innocent. What we would most likely do is we would hire the best attorney we could. We would get all the evidence, we would compile it, the testimonies of people to prove that what the Jewish people were saying about us was wrong. That's what we would do in our culture today. And ultimately, that's what Paul would have done in his culture, but he does something unique. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 26, verse eight, he starts. It says, why should any of us consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, let's just stop here for a second and unfold that. Why is Paul talking about God raising from the dead? Well, that was what got him in trouble in the first place. Remember in Acts chapter 23, he stood before the Sanhedrin and talked about Jesus's resurrection and the, this violent riot bro broke out. That's what got him arrested. And so Paul's like, hey, why, why should it be that big of a deal? Why should it be that incredible that God raises people from the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a times I, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest about noon, King Agrippa. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. And so here Paul is standing on trial and he has to prove himself innocent. He has to show this king, I, I have done nothing wrong. And you know what Paul does? He tells his story. He goes all the way back to Acts chapter nine to where God intervened in his life. He says, King Agrippa, you gotta understand who I was. I was a persecutor of Christians. I hated them. I did everything I could to throw them in prison, to kill them, but then I met Jesus. He interrupted me on the road, and then he changed everything. And why would Paul do this? Like, why would this be his defense? Why would he share his story? And I think we see two things here that Paul did. And I think the first one was Paul just viewed all circumstances as an opportunity. I think this is what I love about Paul maybe the most is that it didn't matter what he was going through. It didn't matter his circumstances, his situation. It didn't matter who he was talking to. Paul viewed every moment as, as leverage to talk about the gospel. I mean, he's on trial. His life hangs in the balance. And guess what he view, how he views it? He views it as an opportunity to share with these people about Jesus. Guys, I want you to know what Jesus has done in my life. And man, is this challenging to me. Man, is this convicting to me because do I actually view every moment of my life, all my circumstances and the people God brings in my way to really use and leverage as an opportunity for Jesus? Because this was for King Agrippa. This was for the people listening. 
But what's interesting is the result of this. The result of Paul sharing his story, the result of all throughout Paul's ministry, just using and leveraging opportunities to talk about Jesus, I actually think it had an impact on a lot of people. But I think maybe it also had an impact on Paul. Because when you remember what God has done in your life, it brings perseverance through the hardest of storms. This is interesting. The result of Paul being so serious about the gospel, the result of Paul sharing his story and and talking about Jesus so much, I think had a crazy, significant impact on him. Because if you go back to Acts chapter 9, Paul's called into ministry to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And I would bet there were seasons of Paul's life where ministry got difficult and he didn't really expect it to. I bet you there was moments in in Paul's life where he was like, man, God, do I really have to be beaten? And do I really have to be flogged and put in prison on a regular basis? Like, I I, I know I would suffer for your name, God. I I, I knew that. But does it have to be to this extent? And in life, we deal with circumstances, probably not as bad as Paul's, but circumstances that that go beyond our expectations when it comes to following Jesus. And those are the moments where it gets hard to push through. Those are the moments where we have to endure. How do we do that? Well, I think we do what Paul did, is we share our story. And when we share our story and we remember what God has done in our life, it helps us to persevere through those hard moments. I mean, if you go to the Old Testament, what is one thing that God tells his people to do on on a regular basis to remember his faithfulness? What's the one thing that the Israelite people in the Old Testament forgot to do? Remember God's faithfulness. I mean, think about it. God delivers them from from slavery. He, He separates the Red Sea and they get through it. And what do they do? They complain. They whine. They moan. God, this isn't what we expected. And what does God tell them to do? Hey, do you remember when you were slaves and when I freed you? You remember that sea that went separated like awesome? And they didn't have food. And what did God do? He provided manna from heaven. And they whine and they moan like, God, this isn't steak. I'm tired of bread. And what does God say? Remember my faithfulness. Can I tell you what's powerful in our lives today when it gets hard with following Jesus? If we would just go back in our lives and remember how many times God has been faithful, it might just help us persevere to knowing that God is probably going to be faithful again. And that's one thing Paul did. He's on trial, and you know what he's doing? He's remembering God's faithfulness in his life, and he's sharing it with people so that they would experience it, but it's also reminding him to persevere in, in the hardest of times. You know, marriage is a great example of this. You know, for many of us who are married, and, and for those of you, maybe you're planning to get married, here's, here's the truth about marriage, is sometimes it's really hard. This is where everybody says, amen, right? <laughs> when, you, when you're on your wedding day, you don't think it's going to get tense and hard and difficult, but man, I've been married for 12 years, and, and man, there's some times where you just got to wrestle through some conflict. There's some times where it isn't easy to love the person you said you love for the rest of your life. You're going to have to have some hard, difficult conversations. And what in those moments of conflict helps you endure and push through the pain that you're experiencing now? For me, it's going back. It's going back to the day where I got on one knee and I said, I want to love you forever. It's going back to our wedding day 
and remembering the love that we had and we carried into our marriages. It's going back to maybe the trip that we took. It's going back to the day we had kids. It's going back and remembering the moments where love was good. And when I remember those things, it helps me in the conflict and the pain and the turmoil to push on and to press through. It's the same with God. Sometimes it's not easy to follow God. Life gets hard difficult. And what did Paul do when he was being beaten and scorned? I believe he remembered God's faithfulness. And so Paul is sharing his story in his defense, and he's interrupted. Verse 24, it says this, at this point, Festus, the governor, interrupted Paul's defense. He says, you're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was, it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. So Paul is in the midst of sharing his story, and the governor interrupts him. He says, dude, you're nuts. You are crazy. You know so much that it has made you mad. And then Paul appeals to King Agrippa because he knew King Agrippa was familiar with the customs of, of the Jewish people. He knew that King Agrippa believed in the prophets, and he, he, he almost urges him and begs with him. He says, you have seen what's going on, King Agrippa. I know you have. And King Agrippa's like, dude, do you really think that through this one conversation that I'm just going to start following Jesus? And Paul says, hey, it doesn't matter if it's today or tomorrow or it takes a long time. My hope and prayer is not just you, but everybody who's listening would become and would know who Jesus is and how he can impact your life. And, and I think here you see three things about Paul, three things that we've seen throughout the, the, the seven weeks of this series, but I want to highlight them and talk about a couple. The first one, I think the first thing you see is Paul was bold. Paul had this ability to be bold for the sake of Jesus. He was courageous. Like there was no, no place or, or no person that would ever stop Paul from sharing the gospel. It didn't matter if he was talking to a king, someone who could take his life, a governor, a poor person, a marginalized person, a neglected person. Paul didn't care who he was talking to and he didn't care where he was. He didn't care if he was in Jewish territory, if he was in Gentile territory. Paul was just bold about the gospel. He never shut up about Jesus. And again, it, it causes me to ask a question, is how bold am I? How bold are you with the gospel? Are we timid, afraid, nervous, fearful? It wasn't like Paul didn't feel those feelings. In fact, in scripture, Paul actually asked his comrades, his friends, to pray that he would be bold. Of all the people we would think who didn't need prayer for boldness, it was Paul. And what does he ask for? Hey, could you pray that I would be bold? I wonder when the last time I asked, or you asked, our community group to pray that we would be bold to share our faith. Do we really take that seriously? How could Paul be so bold? I mean, he's on trial, and he doesn't care. One of the most powerful men, King Agrippa. He's like, you need Jesus. Why could he do that? Why could he be so bold? I ultimately think it's because what he said, he was unashamed of his Savior. He was unashamed of what Jesus had accomplished in his life. 
He was unashamed of who God was and what he could do. And because he was unashamed, it led him to be bold. In fact, this is what he says about himself, Romans chapter one. He penned these actual words. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power that brings healing and hope and meaning into people's lives. And I will never be ashamed of that, Paul said. Man, this makes me wrestle with a really hard question that I don't really like to wrestle with. It's gonna force you and I to, to kind of wrestle with this question of, have you ever been ashamed? Have I ever been ashamed of the gospel? Here's what you might think about me. You might think I'm bold for Jesus, right? I stand on a stage every single week and hopefully I preach the gospel. It's my job. And it's really easy to do it on this stage because it's what everybody expects of me. You know, hey, you show up to one of our campuses or you watch online and you just, you come to hear the truth of God. You come to hear the gospel because it is the power that brings change in all of our lives. And let me tell you, in my life, it's really easy standing behind this little table on the stage where everybody shows up to hear the gospel, to preach the gospel. But what about when I'm off the stage? What about when I'm with my football team that doesn't know Jesus? What about when I'm in buying groceries or I'm having conversation with people who don't go to church? Am I that not ashamed then? And man, I wish the answer was, oh, I, I'm always never ashamed, but that's just not the case. I get the fear. I, I get the, not having boldness. And I would ask you the same question to wrestle with. What about at work? Are you not ashamed of Jesus at work or when you're coaching those teenagers or in your school or, or with your family or in your neighborhood? What about then? It's easy to not be ashamed when you're gathered with all of God's people singing his praise, but what happens when you get into the real world where people don't want to care or know about Jesus? Are you still unashamed there? Paul was unashamed of his Savior. So Paul was bold, the first thing you see. I think secondly, you see that Paul loved people. Paul had this genuine care and desire and love for people. And the reason why he had it is he said, he said, I'm going to follow Jesus. You follow me because I'm following Jesus. And what Paul saw in Jesus was that Jesus loved people. God loved people. I mean, the most famous verse in all of scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He loved people. And because he loved people, he was willing to surrender his one and only son. And as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, if you're here today and you claim to follow Jesus, he's your forgiver and your leader, then at some level, you should love people too. You should really love the people you interact with every single day. In fact, this is what Jesus says about us as followers of Christ. He says this in John chapter 13. He says, by this... So this is the indicator, this is the evidence. It's the evidence of what? Everyone will know, so our culture will know, our world will know, your coworkers, your friends, your family, the people you interact with will know. What will they know? That you're following Jesus, that you're his disciple, that you've surrendered your life to him, that he is your leader, he is your forgiver. And how will they know? If you love one another. So I'd ask myself this, and I would ask you this. How are you right now at loving 
people? How are you at loving that coworker that drives you insane? How are you at loving your spouse who is hard to love sometimes? How are you at loving the people who disagree with you, the people who vote differently than you, the people who are different than you? Maybe a better question is, is does the world know Christians today for their love? Does Rochester know us as followers of Christ because of how we love? That's a challenging question because I really don't, I'm not really sure that's how non, people far from God know who we are. That we're supposed to be loving and caring. And Paul loved people and what it did is it created something in him where he wanted people to experience what he had experienced. That's why he shares his story in, in, in this trial is he wanted Agrippa and everybody listening to experience the love and the mercy of God. He wanted them to come to the conclusion and the understanding of who God was and how he could impact their lives. And out of his love for people, he wanted them to know God and it created a boldness wherever he went to share about God because he loved people. So Paul was bold. Paul loved people. And then third, Paul was unstoppable. The resilience of Paul as he walked through pain and turmoil, nothing would stop him. Why? How did he become unstoppable? I think Paul never let his circumstances change his calling. I think Paul never let his circumstances, what he walked through, change the mission that God gave him. And I think this is something that we, I've, and we've got to learn about Paul, is, is I think in our culture today, people, it doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not, I think in our culture today, way too many of us allow our circumstances to dictate how we feel and who we are. It's amazing to me in our culture today, in people's lives today, how much weight and significance we put on our circumstances. So, hey, man, life is good, therefore I feel good. I'm happy, I feel value, but if my circumstances change, if life gets bad, now I'm depressed, now I, I don't like my life and I feel no value. And it's solely based on what I walk through and what I'm dealing with and, and my situations in life. Better yet, there's people who actually define who God is based off their circumstances. When life is really good, let me tell you, praise Jesus, God is good. But when life sucks, God sucks. And that's how we define God, many of us, based off of our circumstances. And many of you, you find your value solely based on what you're going through. And this is what I love about Paul. is Paul was too busy keeping his eyes on Jesus, he didn't even actually probably know what he was walking through. How could he? Because let's remember kind of some of the things he walked through. Oh yeah, he was beaten. He was flogged. He was stripped naked in front of a crowd. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? He was stoned to death, kind of really, not fully dead, but almost dead. Got up the next day, went back to preaching the gospel. Can you imagine if anybody had the right to whine and moan and complain and say, you know what, God, you're not good? It was Paul. But he didn't let his circumstances define who he was and what God wanted him from, from him. What he did is he allowed God to define him and his circumstances could change and nothing changed who God was to him. 
And I think today we allow our circumstances to define way too many things. And if we would learn to just take our eyes off of our circumstances and focus on who God is and what he wants to accomplish through us, our circumstances won't be that big of a deal anymore. In fact, look at this. We see this in Acts chapter 24. It's so amazing. Paul is sitting in prison. For two years, he's sitting in prison. He's just kind of rotten there for something he didn't do. And look what Paul does. Acts chapter 24, it says, several days later, Felix, this was the governor who put him in prison, came with, with his wife, Drusilla. Can we just pause there and just recognize the amazingness of that name? Drusilla. I'm going to go on record. Joel, I'm sorry we missed on your name. Drusilla would have been beautiful. Where was that? Anyway, I digress. Who was Jewish? So Felix is the one responsible for Paul sitting in prison for two years. And look what he's doing. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. I wonder if that would have been my attitude in prison to the guy who put me in prison. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I'll tell you about Jesus. That's right. And Paul is just this amazing character that you look up to, that you want to be like. And sometimes it feels like there's no way you could get there. I mean, I get that. There's times where I look at Paul's life and I'm like, man, I want to be like that, but could I ever get there? And as we look at his trials, as he walks through the justice system in, in, in the Roman world, I, I think there's one thing that I want us to take home from this. The one thing that I see in Paul, as we study his life, we're seven weeks into it. And, and I think above everything else, here's what I learned about Paul, is it didn't matter where he was or what he was doing, he was always ready to share his story. And I think today we have to learn that, man, we have to always be ready to share our story to talk about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Do you realize that maybe the most powerful thing that God has actually given you to impact people is your story? I'm gonna say that again because I want it to sink in and I want us to hear this. Do, do you realize that maybe one of the most powerful things that God has actually given you to impact people is your story? Here's the crazy thing about Northridge Church. You think about Northridge Church, we're one church and four campuses, an online community. We represent thousands of people all over the Rochester area and ultimately all over the United States with people watching online. And here's what's crazy is God has given each and every one of you, he's given me and he's given you a story. And they're unique. My story is different than your story and your story is different than their story. And the reason God gave you that story is to impact people's lives, the sphere of influence that you have, the people God brings in your life. He's given you that story to leverage, to use for the sake of the gospel. I mean, here at Northridge Church, we have stories of people who were addicted to substances, but in the power of Jesus' name have been set free. We have stories of marriages that were hanging by a thread that God restored, and now their marriage is stronger than ever. We have stories here at Northridge Church of teenagers holding fast to purity and, and, and fighting for it. We have stories of little kids building their foundation of who God is and it's gonna change the rest of their life. We have stories of people who found no meaning in life. They had this void that they were searching for, but then they met Jesus and he changed everything. Story after story. I mean, you just heard a story of Laura's life and what God did in it. 
And man, our stories are powerful. You wanna know why I think they might be one of the most powerful things you can use? It's because no one can argue with your story. No one can argue because they didn't walk in your shoes and feel what you felt and dealt with what you dealt with. No one can argue with your story. And here's what's interesting. Paul is on trial, and notice what he doesn't do. Paul doesn't stand before King Agrippa and say, hey, King Agrippa, I'm gonna bring in these eyewitnesses, and I'm gonna bring in all these pieces of evidence that prove to you Jesus rose from the dead. That's what the whole argument was about. He never once came and said, hey, I'm gonna prove to you, King Agrippa, how Jesus is still alive. No. All Paul does is share his story. He says, King Agrippa, you got to understand who I was. I was a murderer. I loved and I was obsessed with chasing down Christians and throwing them in jail and persecuting them until one day on the road to do just that, Jesus interrupted my life. He met me where I was, and because I met Jesus, he changed everything about And Paul's story is my story and it's your story. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, you were once somebody. Maybe you're not proud of who you were, just like Paul probably wasn't proud of who he was. But then there were circumstances, maybe a friend who invited you, maybe someone who told you about Jesus that ultimately led you to be interrupted right where you were on your life's journey by Jesus. And because of that moment in your life, everything has changed. And so when I say, hey, we need to be ready to share our stories, it's as simple as that. We tell people who you were when you met Jesus and what he's done in your life. And there is power to your story. You felt the power of someone's story today. You always have to be ready. What would our our, our office look like? What would our our families look like? What would our, 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 our classrooms look like if we as Christians just really got serious about sharing what God has done in our life? If it was just a regular rhythm in in our journey, just say, man, that's because of Jesus. Man, I do that because of what Jesus has done in my life. And we just consistently shared our story. So Paul's on trial. And here King Agrippa gives his response, verse 30, it says this, the king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So King Agrippa realizes, man, Paul is innocent. He should be set free, but Paul, as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. And what that meant was God had a different place and location for him to minister to next. It was the city of Rome. But there's something I want to focus on in Paul's trials. I I love the ending, and we're going to wind down here. Look what it says. Look what Agrippa says about Paul. It says, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Does that sound familiar to you? Because what's interesting about Paul's trials is they're eerily similar to Jesus' trials. Here you have two men who the Jewish people are trying to accuse of something, but the Roman justice system can't find anything wrong with Paul and they couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. They were both innocent. But there's one major difference between Paul's trials and Jesus' trials. Because at the end of Paul's trials, he was sent to Rome. 
But at the end of Jesus' trials, he was sent to a Roman cross. Although he was innocent, Jesus never did anything wrong. God had a plan for his son's life, and that plan was to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay, to give up his life so that you and I could have life. And as we study Paul's trials, it should remind us all of what Jesus walked through and what he accomplished for us. In fact, Romans 8, Paul actually says this about Jesus. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How can we study Paul's trials without being reminded of Jesus? The fact that he was completely innocent, did nothing wrong, but yet was humiliated and sacrificed everything so that you and I could experience the message that Paul was so serious about. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that you and I are sinners, broken in need of a savior. And although we were broken, we couldn't fix that problem, but Jesus stepped in on our behalf and he gives us life through his bloodshed and his body that was broken. And today we wanna remember that through what we call communion. And communion is just a chance for us as the church, as God's people to look at our lives, to evaluate and to say, man, how am I living for Jesus and what he accomplished for me? It's a chance to reflect communion is for believers. It's for people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's also a time where we look at our relationships Because the Bible says, hey, if your relationships are messed up, maybe you shouldn't partake in this. So we're gonna remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us. And I challenge you to do two things before we take of a cracker and a juice, two symbols that just represent Jesus' sacrifice. Because the first thing I would challenge you to do is just evaluate your life. Take a good hard look. Are you bold for Jesus? Are you unashamed of what he's accomplished for you? And out of that, do you truly love people enough to share the truth with them? I find it funny that so many Christians say they love people, but we'll love them enough to withhold the truth and watch them die and go to hell. Paul wasn't about that business. Nothing stopped him. And so we just take a good hard look. It's not fun, it's not easy. It's like David said, search me, oh God. Know my heart. It's a chance for us to do this. Secondly, I would challenge you to remember. So we examine and we remember. Maybe today is a great day for you to go back to that moment, that season, that choice where you surrendered your heart to God. Maybe it was three days ago, Maybe it was a year ago, or maybe it was years ago. And maybe you go back to that choice you made to follow Jesus as your savior, and you remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your life, what he's accomplished and what he's changed about you, and you allow that to press you through the hard times in life. So our bands are gonna come and sing a song. Jesus is our living hope. We're gonna pass the elements. I'd encourage you to peel back the little thing. We'll take them together as a campus. But just take a moment as our band sing to reflect and to remember. You do that now.